So our series continues in the book of Galatians. If you have your Bibles and want to turn there, we're in Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 24. You can follow along in your bulletin. There's an outline there. There's also some discussion questions for you to consider in your small group or uh, in your own life personally. Um, We as a church believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. This is not my statement. It's from Romans chapter 1. It's the Apostle Paul's statement. We believe that the gospel has transformative power through Jesus Christ. That God can actually take broken sinners, people who violate his word, who violate his law, who live lives broken by their own desires, their own sins, by the effects of the curse and culture, that God can actually take those people and transform them into someone who acts, thinks, like what I think the rest of the world would agree is at least a very good person, if not the Holy Son of God, Jesus Christ. We believe that. But we don't believe, and so this is important for you if you're a guest, we don't believe you can do that. I don't believe I can do that. I cannot change Tim Locke. Tim Locke cannot change you. You can't change you. It is the power of God. It is the grace of God. It comes to us through the Spirit of God. And so this is, this is kind of the big argument that the Apostle Paul has been making in Galatians. Because there was a group, as Brian spoke to us last week, there was a group that was trying to say it's, it's faith in God plus something else. The biggest plus, the biggest plus, if you were to synthesize the plus, faith plus what? The biggest plus of our culture is our self-righteousness. It's our human effort. It's our work to make ourselves more like Jesus. That is not in Galatians. Paul is adamant that it is faith plus nothing. It is faith alone. In Christ alone. By his grace, which is his work, his intervention, his stepping in alone. That is what starts the process of transformation. That moment when we are declared to be righteous in the presence of God, right with God through Jesus, forgiven of our sins, the obedience of Christ credited to our account so that nothing from that point on will change our standing with God. From that point on, even our growth and obedience does not change our standing with God. That's already secured. 
But at that point, the Spirit who enters into our lives makes us what Paul says in Galatians 6.15, a new creation, starts a process that is connected with the event, but it is not the event. It is separate. And where we would say, well, I began by the Spirit, but now I need to work really hard. I need to get on the treadmill of performance and obedience. I need to try and, and, and put on righteousness in my life. Paul would say, if you began by the Spirit, do you think you're going to be finished or completed by the flesh? And in that context, flesh is our striving. This has been his argument. His argument is now coming to a close where he talks about the role of the Spirit in transforming us. Here's the text. Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And you, you can kind of see categories here, right? These first three are kind of grouped together under the idea of fornication, sexual sin. And then you get into uh, idol worship, idolatry, and sorcery. Uh, these things go together. Sorcery is probably some type of... Uh, astronomy or something that goes along with, with uh, idolatry. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, and divisions. These kind of are grouped together in disruptive interaction or relationship. Envy uh, could stand on its own, but probably linked. And then drunkenness and orgies. Orgies here is drunk parties. Think of Georgia Tech frat house, okay? Um, and everything that goes along with, you know, beer pong and, and those kind of parties. So drunkenness and orgies are linked together in alcohol and substance abuse. And Paul says, in things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Let's unpack this together, okay? I think the lesson is believers bear the evidence of their union with Christ through the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. Say it again. You need to think about it. Believers bear the evidence of their union with Christ through the powerful influence of the Holy Spirit. Paul cannot avoid that idea of us being joined to Christ. He, just, he, can't, he, he always brings us back to it. Those who belong to Christ. It was the last thing he said in this, in this text. Because that's at the heart of it. That we have been adopted into the very family of God by being joined to the Son of God. And that's critical for the fruit that we experience. First thing to notice, the Spirit does, does what the law cannot do. 
I, I was, I'm intrigued by a couple statements that the apostle makes. In verse 23, he says, against such things there is no law. In verse uh, 18, he says, you're not under the law. This is the contrast that's being made between the spirit and the flesh is also between the spirit and the law. Those who would try and, and live by law-keeping, by rule-keeping. The law attempts to restrict our behavior. It attempts to tell us, don't go over this speed limit. There are consequences. Here's the law. And if you don't obey it, there are consequences. You could earn God's disfavor if you break the law. And in fact, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. None of us is righteous. We have all earned God's disfavor. But the law cannot correct behavior. It cannot change what motivated us to break the law. It cannot make us want to obey the law. The law does not have that power. And our flesh, Paul says, does not have that power. But somebody has that power to make us willing and desirous of obeying. Someone has the ability to actually go to the root, not the behavior that we see in the tree, not the fruit that we see in the tree, but to go to the root, the thing that's motivating the sin, and actually transform it. This is why Jesus says what comes out of you is what defiles you because it comes out of your heart. The Holy Spirit actually has the ability to unzip us, climb in, and work on the heart issues that are motivating our sinful behavior. So go back to that list of the works of the flesh. These are the evidences of a heart that needs transformation. And the Holy Spirit has that ability. Consider the idea of envy. I'm actually working on a series to go through this concept of envy, one of the seven deadly sins and also one of the vices mentioned in the works of the flesh. One author I read said, the root behind envy, and I, I tend to agree with this individual, is unbelief. I look at what God hasn't given me and I conclude he's not good. I look at what God has given you or you or someone else I see on Facebook and I conclude, God, you haven't blessed me like you've blessed them. You're not good because I know me and I know I deserve more. So unbelief and pride joins in. Well, what if God can unzip you, climb in, and start showing you what you truly deserve? If he could bring you to humility about what you genuinely deserve from him, which is nothing but the eternal outpouring of his wrath for your sin. And in that humility, you can start to see all the things that you have as gifts from God. What James says, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variance, no shadow, no change. He's faithful as we sung earlier. And so the things that he's given you is exactly what he meant to give you and you should be content with that because everything you have is a gift of mercy. And instead of wanting what he's done for someone else, you can actually rejoice in what God has done for someone else because you don't want what they have. You don't envy what they have. God can literally, the Spirit can literally transform our hearts in that way. The Spirit does what the law is unable to do. The Spirit builds our faith in God's goodness. He humbles us. 
At times, he brings us into the love of God to quench our fear and our insecurities so that we can love people instead of feeling insecure around them and end up trying to manipulate and control. The second thing I want you to notice is that the Spirit's presence is what bears fruit. It is fruit. We did a series on the armor of God, and my argument was, Paul Paul says, put on the armor of God. My argument was that the, the armor is a person that you draw near to. Well, same thing for the fruit, folks. We don't put on the fruit. I've actually grown up in churches where we were told to develop the fruit. Develop love in your life. Develop joy in your life. You ever told a depressed person to be joyful? I've had that happen to me. I'm like, are you, are you kidding me? What am I supposed to just... Here was the phrase I learned. Think yourself into a new set of emotions. Think yourself into a new set of emotions. <laughs> okay, I'll try. <laughs> it didn't work. You know, um, the fruit is something that the Spirit bears out in our lives. It is gradual development in my life. The second thing, notice it's one fruit with many facets. This is a beautiful fruit. It's not an apple that looks like an apple. It's something more like a diamond with many facets, love, the facet of love, the facet of joy, the facet of peace. It's not something you develop. It's something that grows within, and it's multifaceted, which means you can't grow in love without also growing in self-control. They grow together because it's one fruit. It's symmetrical. So you can say, well, I've, look, look how I've grown in love, but you still overeat. Well, probably not a work of the Spirit. Probably just some good behavior change. But it's not the work of the Spirit, because the Spirit develops the fruit in its fullness together. Look at the fruit with me back in your text. Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love. This is the agape love of God. This is the selfless, serving others, not for quid pro quo, not for what you will get from them, but just to give to them because you love them. Joy, this is our delight in God and his gifts. Peace, this is the ability to be at rest in our souls, even in the midst of hardship, because we trust in God's goodness and in his wisdom. Patience, the ability to endure hardship without losing your cool or quitting. Kindness, this is just vulnerable service, giving of myself to others. Goodness, this deals with our integrity. Faithfulness, this deals with our loyalty. Gentleness, This speaks of our humility, self-control, not willpower, but the, I like the way Keller says it, the pursuit of what is right and good over what we would desire, selfishly desire. So notice the fruit 
is very similar to the very character of the Spirit, if not the same. This is the new creation that God has created in us. As the Spirit comes in, it is not something we create or develop. It is something that is developed within us as we come under the influence of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit's fruit. We battle with our flesh by coming more and more under the influence of the Spirit. And the battle is critical. But it's not won by us. It is won by the Spirit of God. This fruit is something that is inevitable. It will be born in your life if you have the Spirit. The new life that was created within you is the type of life that you are called to live and that God is committed to transforming you into. Notice, as I mentioned, the Spirit's fruit is nothing less than His character. These are not in, uh, traits of our lives. These are internal transformations that happen. This is how the Spirit Himself relates to the Father and the Son. This is what you would find in the Trinity. Love, joy, peace. And we are being brought into relationship with a member of the Trinity. And He begins to transform us, to conform us, as Paul says in Romans 8, into the very likeness of Jesus. Character changes. And we begin, as we experience this relationship within the Trinity, to look more and more like the character of the author of our life. Notice Paul says such things. I love that Brian brought this out. It actually created conversation in the office this week. If you look with me at uh, verse 23, gentleness, self-control, against such things there is no law. And, and last week it was mentioned that such things doesn't mean that this is a complete list or means that this is not a complete list. It is not a complete list. Uh, one instance where I, I think of more things, where the scripture reveals more things, is when God presents himself to Moses. Moses says, I won't go in I won't do what you've asked me to do unless you show me your glory, which I think is kind of, kind of bold to say to God, right? I'm not going to do what you, I mean, this is kind of a quid pro quo. We've heard a lot of that lately. I'm not going to do what you want me to do unless you do something for me. But it's a pretty good request, and so God is merciful, and he says, all right, I'll show you my glory. But you can't see it and live, so I'm going to hide you in the cleft of a rock, in a little cave, a little, crack, a little cut out of a rock. I'm going to put my hand over you. Because if you see me as I truly am, you're not going to be able to, you know, survive it. So he covers him with his hand, and which not a real hand, but he covers him. And then God walks before him, and the text says that Moses sees his, the, the trail, kind of, you know, image a, a king with a long train, right? And all Moses saw was the train of the garment. Now, the glory is what he's talking about, the the residual of the presence of God. That's, that's what he saw. He saw the residual. And in that moment, God declares his glory. God says all the things, some of the, not all, some of the things that are here, goodness and mercy, kindness and justness. Justness would be a fruit of the Spirit. 
That's not mentioned here, but that the Spirit, if He's influencing us, will develop. Righteousness and how we treat others. Now, some of the righteousness, that might be a big term for some of the, the terms here, but righteousness, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our friends, family, co-workers. Are we righteous in our dealings? This would be a fruit of the Spirit. And it's developed together as we come more and more under the influence of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's called fruit. Because it's us coming more and more under the influence of the character of this individual who is present with us under the care of this individual, under the counsel of this individual. And what happens is our affections grow, our faith grows. And as that happens, guess what? It pushes out the motivations for sin because now there's not lust, there's love. Now there's not greed, there's contentment. Now there's not unbelief, there's faith. And so when Paul says, all that matters, verse uh, chapter 5 and verse 6, all that matters is faith working through love or expressing itself through love. He's using one element, one facet of the fruit of the Spirit to talk about the whole thing. All that matters is your faith developing into the full fruit of the Spirit in your life. And this is what he says in chapter 6, verse 15. This is the new creation. This is what God has done in you and is doing in you. Paul ends with this bringing us back to the person and the work of Christ because the Spirit of God is not disconnected from the person of Jesus. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, Paul says, and he is bringing us into the very benefits that Christ has provided for us. One of those benefits mentioned here is that those who belong to Jesus have crucified their flesh with its affections and lusts. He is bringing us into the victory of Jesus over our flesh, dethroning it, uh, taking away its power, still present. But because we've been joined to Christ, we have. You don't need to try and get it. You don't need to, tr- you don't need to surrender to have it. The victory is yours over this. But it's going to take time as you gradually grow in the influence of the Spirit. And he bears out his fruit. But he brings us back to what we have in Jesus. Our adoption into the family of God, into the fellowship of the Trinity, through the grace of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit mediates to us, not just the transformation, but all the benefits that we have that are ours in Jesus. Because of these teachings, how should we respond? How should we think? I think as, a, as, as your pastor, one of the first things I would say to you is rejoice in the fruit that you see. Um, I, I, we all want to be better, right? We all want to be more like Jesus we all hate it when we yell at our children or when we're snide, you know, snide with our spouse or when we, when we have thoughts in our minds that we, we're like, oh, I, I hate that that's there. I don't want to want those things. When envy creeps up, 
you know, and we see it, most of the time we don't, we're blind to it, we're deceived, but if we can see it, you know, we say, I don't want that in my heart. I think if you have the Spirit, that's, that's your, that, you know, your growing response to the flesh, but we're not there by any stretch. We're not there. Our spouses cannot look at us and say, you are the very incarnation of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not. Um, in fact, I, I texted my wife a couple times this week something, and then I, I wrote her back and said, I have really got to grow up which is progress that I actually recognized that what I just said to her was a junior high comment. Sorry, junior hires, no offense. I am a 48-year-old junior hire. And I actually wrote her and said, man, I really need to grow up, don't I? (laughs) Rejoice, though, in the fruit that you do see. This this to me is is kind of the, the... battle of uh, assurance that so many people face. You know, I'm not what I want to be. Maybe I'm not in the family of God. I say, well, none of us are what we want to be. None of us are what Jesus wants us to be. That doesn't mean we're not in the family of God. So look at the fruit that you do see. Do you want to obey the word of God? Yeah. Well, where did that come from? Are you seeing uh, growth in your life? Yes, I'm not the person I used to be. Well, where did that come from? Well, I worked really hard. No, you didn't. The Spirit of God bore fruit in your life as you came more and more under His influence. Stop taking credit for this stuff. It ain't yours. It's His. And if He's bearing fruit, rejoice. That means He's there. Take some comfort. And rejoice because the more you come under his influence, the more fruit you're going to see. Rejoice in the fruit that you see. Rejoice in the fruit that you see in your spouse's life. I cannot tell you how many times a spouse comes and wants to complain about their spouse. I want to say, are they where they were? Have they grown? Well, it's a gradual process. Be a part of it. Stop, stop fighting it. Stop wishing it was further down the road than it is. You got the spouse you got. He's not where he should be, but he's not where he was. Praise God for that. And be a part of bringing them under the Spirit's influence instead of whining and complaining about where they are. How does that help? This should influence how we raise our children. We shouldn't be surprised when their flesh manifests itself. We should be working to bring them more and more into the influence of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, that's what we're here to do. That's what we're here to talk about. And this is what Paul is urging us to. How do you come more and more into the influence of the Holy Spirit? You're doing it now, by the way. Under the preaching of the Word of God. This is a means for you to receive grace or help, goodness from God. In these moments, and when we're about to take the sacrament, these are moments when the Spirit has uniquely set them aside for Him to minister to you. These are moments of Spirit influence. 
Every time you open the book and read, you should say, as I read, Father, send your Spirit to influence me through these words. You say, I, don't, I read it and I didn't get any influence. You don't know that. You don't know what He's doing through the ministry of the Word in your life. But we're just, we're this instant culture. Well, I read the Bible and nothing changed. No, I I loved what Brian said last week. It's the gradual progression over a long period of time. So read the Word. Pray. You say, well, I prayed. Nothing happened. Pray some more. Because it isn't about you bending God's will. It's about God changing your heart. Come under the influence of the Spirit through the community of God's people. Yes. Yes. God uses the people of God to stir us up to faith. Yes. This is why community in a, in a church our size already, we can't have kind of the, the kind of community that, that's required. You need to be in a small group or a discipleship group or some group of people who are challenging you, who are listening to you, who are praying for you, who are encouraging you. That's essential to you coming under the fruit of the, uh, the work of the, the influence of the Spirit because the Spirit's in these other people. And He's going to prompt them in your life. Come under the influence of the Spirit by pursuing the means of grace at least over a long period of time. Over a long period of time. Sanctification is a team sport. That's not a direct quote from Tripp. I don't think. I I looked for it in about four of his books that I have and couldn't find the direct quote. Thought I had highlighted it. Still think it's on the left-hand corner on about the 20th page of one of his books. That's how my brain works, okay? Highlighted in orange. I remember it was orange, not yellow. Um, But I couldn't find it, okay? But the the, the point is there. God took your growth in grace. God took the process that you're in and he put it in everyone else's hands. This is why we make a commitment to each other. I'm going to be part of your growth in grace and you're going to be part of my growth in grace. You cannot grow in grace up on a mountain by yourself. See, if I could just get alone with my Bible and sit down and study and pray, you'll grow, the Spirit will bless you, but then He wants you to go be around God's people because that's where He transforms. That's where He takes what you've learned, what He's taught you, and helps you put it to practice and face the challenges of your own ego that you didn't know were there. You can't grow in grace on your own. You grow in grace through the people of God. All the means of grace are community means. It's a team sport. Join the team. Okay? Um, And then finally, remember that you belong to Christ. Your growth in being conformed to Jesus is going to happen. It might take longer for you than it does 
For others, it might look different for you in what you have to go through in order to grow in grace because the Holy Spirit designs your sanctification plan. He designs the plan for you that will most be most effective to help you grow to be like Jesus. And it looks different for you as it, than it does for me. It will happen because you're joined to Jesus. That means it will happen for your spouse if they're joined to Jesus. It means it will happen to your children if they're joined to Jesus. This is the result of being a new creation, of being in fellowship with the second person of the Trinity and being in fellowship with the Trinity through the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. So let's go out from here pursuing the influence of the Spirit so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. If you're struggling with sin today, Yes, do battle with that sin. But realize that no longer engaging in that is going to come not through you suppressing the desire, but through the Spirit changing that desire, which is going to take time. It's going to be a process, but the change is going to be much more powerful. Let me pray for us. Father, we belong to you through Jesus Christ, and in this we rejoice, and we rejoice greatly. We are yours. We are in the beloved one, the one that you love. And so, as we sang last week, you are crazy about us. You are madly in love with us because you are madly in love with your son. And we are united to him, and nothing can sever us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, through Christ Jesus. So we rejoice secure today as secure people. And yet we cry out to you, Father, Father, do what we cannot do. Transform us by the influence and the power of your Spirit. Use even this meal that we're about to go to to accomplish your transforming grace in our lives. We pray this all in the name of the one that we belong to, Jesus Christ. Amen.